Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be back, and it's good to be uh, up here again. And It's been a little break since uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've been back from, from a sabbatical, so... Most of you probably know that, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to do that. And uh, as we've uh, as we've come back and in consultation with Craig, we've uh, decided that we wanted to open a new series that will take us for a few months, probably through the summer, uh, on studying First Peter. And First uh, Peter is an important book, and as we uh, plan to approach this book and hear what Peter has to say to us. I, I must admit I uh, haven't studied First and Second Peter as much as I should have or would have or like to. Uh, Paul has more books in the Bible than uh, more letters in the Bible and the Gospels are bigger and so we only have a small slice of Peter. And uh, so it's gonna—it's been fascinating to look at and to study, and I think it will be extremely important and fascinating to you as well. So this is kind of our uh, an introduction to First Peter. This last week, uh, you might have known, you might not have known that we've had uh, a couple of funerals and. Uh, on Monday, we had a funeral here, and it was for Al Jones. And uh, they, uh, the, Al and his wife Joanna, have been here, members of a church for a long time. Sit over there usually, see some of the Joneses. And uh, like what happens at a lot of funerals is that. Uh, maybe I meet people later in life, and then when we have a funeral and we go through kind of the eulogy of their experience and hear all the testimonies of people, you realize, wow, so much happened in their life. I wish I would have sat out and talked with them. Uh, you know, Al uh, was in Japan at the end of World War II. And uh, worked with espionage things. Uh, fascinating. Was a military guy for 27 years. Uh, it's kind of fascinating. His wife too. Little Joanna. Uh, a little dynamo. Uh, she passed away a few years ago. But when, you know, around that time, end of World War II, she became an air traffic controller. It's kind of wild. Um, but while I was here and kind of going through that, I was thinking, boy, uh, Al became, I got a library science degree along with his engineering degree and worked at the university. It's kind of incredible. But there was this guy who was here who was uh, sons and daughters of the revolution. And so come to find out that uh, descendants, ancestors of Al fought in the American Revolution. And there's a, a lot of those people around. 
Uh, and so I was talking to the director of the Sons and Daughters of the American Revolution, and he was telling me uh, how they recognize families who've had their descendant, their descendants in uh, uh, their ancestors in the war, and how they recognize those families and try to keep that. A significant memory alive and then he said you know you should look in your uh, ancestor you should uh, check out your family line you know maybe uh, uh, maybe so uh, but then I was thinking you know that's that's one of the areas that I probably have never gone very far with because uh, my dad grew up in a pretty rough home uh, had a stepfather um, that uh, didn't like that my dad was living there, <laughs> and uh, he ran away, and uh, when he was 11 years old, was on his own since 11 years of age, kind of hopped around from farm to farm uh, as a hand, uh, working, and uh, one time he got a, a, a birth certificate from uh, the city when he was probably 24. And in the father box, it, it said, uh, bastard. Well, I didn't even know they used that word like that. <laughs> and uh, so there wasn't much opportunity for me, I've ever felt, to kind of dig into my past. Now, I know that it's kind of a big thing, and, and there's probably ways to get around that, and I've had some people look in my past, and, uh, but one of the things that's kind of a glaring thing for me is that I don't really have very much connection with my ancestors on my dad's side, and he never had very much connection. And, and with uh, Ancestry.com and all these things, it's there's something unique and special. And when I was talking to the, the guy that directs the Sons and Daughters of the Revolution, he was kind of sad. He was like, that's too bad. We, you know, there's probably ways we can get around that. Because there's something important, there's something valuable about knowing where you came from, what your history is, what your ancestors have done, and where you, and who they are. And that is all super important. Because it tells you a lot about yourself. It grounds you in your circumstance and what has been in your line and your lineage. And why you're where you're at. Well, as we turn to First Peter, I think that Peter is making a similar case. Because... In 1 Peter, you know, in verses 1 and 2, which we're going to look to. So if you turn to 1 Peter, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 2. In 1 Peter, Peter goes on to really describe a people of God. I think if there is a big idea in 1 Peter, it is this idea that we have been drawn out of the world and made a part of the people of God. And because of that, we're looking forward to the culmination of time when Jesus comes back and he brings his kingdom into the world. We're at present brought into a community of hope and relationship. And we are displaying the wonder of who God is in the hearts of God's people in this world, so that the truth of Jesus 
can be seen, can be sought after, can be heard of, can be responded to. And what's amazing about Peter is where Peter comes from. So Peter is a Jew. He was steeped in the first century. He was probably a follower of John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus as being the one who was to come. We don't know if he heard it, if he was there, if he understood it. That was repeated many times, which is probably likely. And so when Jesus asked Peter to come and follow him, he immediately leaves John the Baptist and follows Jesus and leaves his livelihood behind and becomes a disciple of Jesus. He and his brother Andrew. It's it's an amazing thing. So as we prepare to study through 1 Peter, I want us to, I I don't know, maybe this might just be my problem, but I oftentimes am so uh, enamored by the life of Paul. He was a Pharisee, he was persecuting the church, then he was converted, and then he became on fire for the Lord, and he, he was a servant like none other. He laid down his life and went planting churches all over. It's the the height of what it means to be sold out for the Lord. And so a lot of times I'm comfortably attracted to Paul. Not that I'm anything like him, but I see that energy. But then as I was thinking about Peter, and we think about turning our attention to 1 Peter and looking at his letter, I'm reminded of the man who is teaching us in this letter. My, my first point, uh, my idea here is God's call on us, knowing who we are. And my first point is, first, we must take note of who it is that tells us who we are. So let's read First Peter, verses 1 and 2. That's all we're looking at. So I know you're hopeful this will be a shorter sermon. I'm going to try to do that. <laughs> I've been gone for three months. I've got lots to say. <laughs> so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providences of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So first... As we prepare to study this letter, we must think about who it is who's instructing us. And even think about what he says about us, even in these two verses. So as we think about Peter, Peter is a fascinating person. We either think of great things that he's accomplished or great missteps that he's made. You know, the missteps are pretty profound because we think of 
I think of the, you know, Peter when uh, Jesus was saying that he was going to go to the cross and he was going to die. And Peter pulled him aside and said, no, 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 no get this straight. Let's, let's change that plan. That's not what's going to happen. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. I mean, the separation, the challenge, the correction can't be any stronger. So Peter experiences these things. We think of Peter saying on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed that he would be faithful to him to the end, even if it cost him his life. And Jesus says, and all the other disciples say along to them, yeah, we're going to be faithful too. One thing that's interesting about Peter is he often voiced the very things that the disciples were thinking in their hearts. So I don't want to be too down on Peter. Matter of fact, I appreciate Peter because he voiced those things. And so he said, I will go to death for you. And Jesus says, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. We know those stories. Those are deep depths in the story of Peter. But there are some other very prominent things that are profound. Peter was the spokesman. He, was, he is listed as the leader. When they were at uh, Caesarea Philippi and Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? Who was it that spoke up? It's almost always Peter. Peter spoke up. He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, uh, Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you but my father who is in heaven he was on the right page this is a great event I think of also Peter when uh, the disciples were sent when they were up at the Sea of Galilee and they had a busy day and Jesus said take the boat and go across the sea I'm going to pray and he went up on a mountain to pray and then he came out and they were going across the Sea of Galilee and there a storm came up and they were fearful for their lives and Jesus came walking on the water they thought it was a ghost at first but then they said no this and Jesus said no fear not it's me And Peter said, if it's you, Lord, let me come to you. And he says, come. And Peter jumps out of the boat, walking on water. That is quite spectacular. I'm sure that Peter remembered doing that. Of course, then he got in trouble because he's looking around at the waves and the sea. And he starts to sink. And Jesus reaches out and pulls him to safety. In some ways, that's almost like a a parable of the life of Peter. Wanting to do great things, stepping out with faith and determination and willingness to, to give his all, to follow the Lord, to lay it on the line, and then to falter and stumble. But then, God's grace showing His love and restoration in the life of Peter. No wonder Peter is the leader of the church. You remember Jesus said, Peter, on you I will build my church. And in some very significant ways, Peter becomes the leader of the church and shows us 
the faithfulness of God, the grace of God, in that we step and misstep and fall and falter and long to do what is right and step out in faith and then need support and encouragement. It's a picture of the church. I don't know about you, but that is the picture of my life. I need to see the grace of God reaching out to his followers. And Peter's a picture of that. And God did amazing, marvelous things in the life of Peter. Peter was fundamental to the direction of the church in the book of Acts. And one of the biggest lessons that Peter learned was that God was taking the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike without distinction. And the church so desperately needed to learn that. That's one of the benefits of us being here. I don't know if I could say this for everybody, but certainly for us, for the majority of us, we are Gentiles here. And the church was expanded. The tents were picked up and expanded to include Jews and Gentiles on the same basis of the sacrifice of Jesus. And Peter was leading that charge. So when Peter speaks, we must listen. As one of the, uh, the apostles of the church, Paul, as great of an apostle as he was, had people that were questioning his apostleship. He had, in many of his letters, had to, to defend his leadership in the church. It's interesting to note, there's never any defense of Peter. Seems like his leadership's Already acknowledged. So Peter just says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So let's turn our attention to, over the next few months, this letter. Let me encourage you to take it out and read it. Read it. Reread it. Think about what Peter is telling us as one of the, the, the foundation figures of the church that Jesus Christ is building. We must take note of who is telling us who we are. Now let's go on to look at what he tells us who we are as he describes who we are as people of God, as people who are believers in Christ. The first thing, second point in my message, we must note that the first word Peter uses for us is elect. To God's elect. And as we think about that word, we must realize that there are other words that relate to that, elect or chosen. And oftentimes when we come to these words, it gets a little sticky because we immediately begin to think about maybe a Calvinist and Armenian debate and uh, these kinds of things, you know, did God choose us or are we choosing, are we responsible or not, or is God responsible, what's going on? I think if we focus on that and we stick to that, I think we miss the, the more outstanding claim that Peter is making here. So we're going to leave aside whether you choose or God chooses you. you know. I think the category of elect, of being God's people, 
is recognized by Peter as he calls us God's elect and that there is something outstanding being said here. So first, let's think about this category of chosen or elect. It has a great Old Testament history. It is used as a designation for God's people from the beginning. This is clearly seen in in the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. For I have chosen you so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. So he's chosen him. Abraham's selected out of all the peoples in the world. And God sets his attention and his love and his focus on him. You can see this also in Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 10. But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have loved, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant, and I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, this elect or chosen terminology is a very special Jewish designation. Therefore, many think that when Peter is writing 1 Peter, and he's speaking to the people he's writing to as elect or chosen, that they must be Jewish. Maybe he's writing to Jewish synagogues. Um, I wanted to see if I could show a map. There it is. Didn't I say we should use maps? So I'm, I'm trying to follow what, you know, my suggestions. <laughs> so if you look at this, you have this God, two God's elect exile scattered throughout the providences of Pontus. So Pontus is on the Black Sea up in the top right corner. Has a, it's kind of marked out. And then you have, of course, Galatia, which is just to the left below it. I should have that little pointer. Uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynity is back up there. Oh, that, that area is very similar. So what I want you to notice is that, that that's all pretty north. If you go down almost to the bottom of the slide, you see Judea and Jerusalem. Joppa and Caesarea are sticking out into the Mediterranean Sea. But Jerusalem is a good marker. Peter is writing to these churches way to the north. Um, and so maybe there are synagogues up there, and maybe he's using this kind of language for Jewish people. But I actually think, and we know that Peter was predominantly an apostle to the Jews, but I think that just as Paul went to synagogues and he was an apostle to the Gentiles, he first went to synagogues and then he continued to preach to Jews and Gentiles, that Peter also didn't just preach, teach to, gen- to Jews, but he also preached and taught to Gentiles. And I think this is a letter written to Gentiles. And what makes that amazing, as we'll see in a moment, but here's some evidence for this. Look at, if, if this was Jews, 
mainly synagogues, wouldn't it be surprising to hear chapter 1, verse 18? For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Would Peter say to Jews that you had an empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors? I think not. Or, one more, chapter 4, verse 3. This description wouldn't make sense if Peter is talking to Jews. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Would Peter say that about Jewish people? No, because it's the same God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus is coming in fulfillment of those promises in the Old Testament. Yes, there's a new transformation of understanding of what God is doing in Jesus, but those are not detestable things. Those are precious. And so Peter is certainly talking to a group of Gentiles. Now, that's important because Peter will use the word God's elect. For Gentiles. What does that mean? That means that we, when we come to trust in Jesus, we are imported and implanted by the merits of Jesus Christ into the people of God. So much so that the apostle to the Jews would call us as new imported people into the people of God, the elect, the chosen, standing in line of God's massive work of bringing salvation to the world through his people through his chosen people, through his elect people to the world. And we are part of that. That is an astounding calling. And it is amazing that Peter, the apostle to the Jews, really understood this. If we know the story, and you go back and read in Acts chapter 10, you remember that Peter had that exchange with God about that sheet that was lowered. And on that sheet was a lot of animals. And Peter was told, rise up and go and kill and eat. Peter said, well, uh, just a minute, Lord. These are all unclean. I've never eaten unclean stuff. And the Lord said to him, don't call unclean what I have called clean. He did that three times. And then there was a knock at the door to go to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, preached the gospel and see the Spirit poured out on that household. Peter got this so well that he would write this first Peter, this letter to those Gentile churches and use the very words elect and chosen for Gentiles now included in the people and the family of God. Now, I know that there might be some debates as to what does God's chosen and election mean when you get in or you get out? Is it about me or is it about, you know, my choice or God's choice? But we miss something bigger here 
Because no one would think that God didn't determine to bring salvation to his people. No one would think that God didn't set up and and had to make the preparations in the heart of his people through the work of his spirit to make us his elect, his people. No one would think that God didn't have to send his son to make provision so that salvation would come to us. We are standing in the salvation of God because of God's work and direction to us. And because of that, we are his chosen people, his redeemed people. God has done and continues to do the heavy lifting in our salvation. And that's what Peter recognizes. To God's elect. Next, exiles. I'm running out of time. Exiles. Exiles can be translated strangers, aliens, sojourners. And actually, sojourners I like. Aliens I like. And that and it's directed to all of those those places. And and the people of God, the Israelites, knew what it meant to be in the diaspora, the dispersed into the nations. That even though they were carried off into Babylon, even though they were strength, they were slaves in Egypt, they knew of who they were and who they belonged. And Peter is saying, you are God's elect. You are aliens scattered throughout the nations. What makes us sojourners, exiles, and aliens? It's that we are not where we are made to be yet. We have a heavenly home. We have a home in Christ's kingdom. We have been chosen and made new people. And so we are exiles, aliens, waiting for the culmination of God's plan of salvation when we will stand in his kingdom forever. And I think we must take instruction from uh, Jeremiah when he gave instruction to the Israelites when they were going into exile into Babylon. In Jeremiah 29... Verse 7 says also, when you're in exile, make sure you go there, live in the land of Babylon, and live with the people. Live life together, do business together, plant together, but never forget that you're not part of the land. You're not the people. You are exiles. You are aliens. Verse 7 says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too prosper. And a little further down in chapter 29, God promises his people after 70 years he'll be bringing them out. And we're kind of in that same frame of reference. We've been changed we've been brought in to the people of God and the family of God but we live here and we're existing as aliens and sojourners here we are to engage in our world we are to care about the people we interact with 
We are to shine the light of Christ through our service to our neighbors, through our love for our co-workers. We are to demonstrate the life of Christ in us. And we do that not by just being separate and kind of sorry about the world. It's, it's going to disaster and uh, you know, I'm glad I'm not a part of it. No, we're, we're to be invested in the life here. But always recognizing we're aliens. Always looking for the hope of a future when God's final deliverance will come. Kind of reminds me when we went to Israel. And, and uh, you know, you go to Israel and I really noticed that I was a tourist. Because I don't fit in with anything that's really going on there. And I make sure I have my passport so that I can show it to everybody. And, uh, you know, I'm an American. Uh, I'm not really here. But, uh, and then, as a tourist, you kind of want to suck up everything you can. You know, I want to have a comfortable bed. I want to have all the amenities. And where's my luggage? Make sure that's all good. And now I want to see the sight. So take me all to the best places to get all that I can out of this trip. Uh, That's a tourist. But that's not what we're to do as believers. We're to be sojourners. We're to be like the Israelites when they went to Babylon. We're to be invested in the world, in the relationships, in the situation of our culture, and aware of the people around us, so that we can show that we're foreigners aliens, that there is a great work of God that has happened in our lives. That's our call as the people of God, knowing who we are. And just like being sons and daughters of the revolution gives us pride and appreciation of our ancestors and and how we've got to enjoy the freedoms and the privileges of this country, So in our understanding of God's purposes that far outstrip any nation or any kingdom that will be on this earth, it is about the kingdom of Christ that will be eternal. It is about the Savior who is the Savior to the uttermost, who can remove sin from us and give us new life and invites us into an ongoing relationship with Him. It is that identity That must shape who we are. And Peter recognizes how profound it is. That that long standing identity of of Jews who are God's chosen people. Now extends to all Gentiles and to all people who will trust in Jesus. That new identity makes us who we are. God's people in the world. And so we should take heart And be encouraged because God is at work in us. And our call is to be a light in the world and in the culture that we live. And it won't necessarily happen by mass media. It will happen by us sharing our lives with people we meet every day in every situation. So let's be about the business. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son. Lord, that you pursued us.
that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in their love as one God, they overflow with love to us and saw us in our broken state and redeemed us and brought us into the people of God. Lord, we know we're strangers and aliens. Our home is in your kingdom. We are awaiting the glorious arrival of that kingdom, but we pray that we will be fully engaged disciples of yours, bringing peace and the the message of truth through everything we do. May we display the truth of Jesus in our lives for the world to see. In Jesus' name, amen.